Amen. Hey, come on. Good morning. Welcome to Sunday. Can we give our online watchers a big hello? A big hey and clap. Come on. Don't be shy. Come on. We're in God's house today. Can we make a little bit of noise for the God of creation, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? Y'all are too quiet on me this morning. Come on. You have to do a little bit better than that. Amen. That's right. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Well, it always is an honor and a privilege to have the opportunity to speak before you. I truly do consider it a joy and a privilege to speak a little bit of life, love, laughter into your, your faith this morning or into your being this morning. Uh, so thank you for giving me your ears and eyeballs for just a few moments this morning. Um, for those of you in the building that are wondering who I am and what I do, my name is Nate. I am our student pastor up here this morning at LifePoint. And can I just say I love our students. I love our student team. I love the passion and the energy they bring on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings into this building. And um, I'm just super proud of them. And can I just take a moment, another moment, just to say that we actually have a student worship team, which I am super thankful for. And some of you may not have even known that, but we do have a student worship team, and I'm super proud of them for that. And um, it's just really incredible to see them on Wednesday nights experiencing God's presence, to experience God's joy. And there really are very few things that I come across or experience on a day-to-day -day basis that just bring me more joy than seeing our students grow in their faith, to see them come out of their comfort zone on a Wednesday night and lift their hands and shout out and dance, and just to really experience the fullness of everything that God has called them to be, and that is something that is forever ingrained into my memory, and so I'm super thankful for that opportunity to be able to speak into them. So just remember that I am used to speaking to students this morning, and if you know anything about teenagers, they need little bits of sprinkles of funny and visuals on top of the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, amen? Amen. Which means I'm all about crowd participation, okay? I really am. So I want to, do, I want, uh, to be just a little bit interactive with you this morning, uh, which I'm gonna, I, our students love to play games. I love to play games. So I'm going to show you a series of five different photographs, and, and I want you to participate in any way that really moves you. You can shout. If you're vocal, you can shout at me. You can laugh. You can shout out answers. You can write it down. If you're a note taker, shout out to all the note takers out there this morning. There we go. Yeah, we got one of us in the crowd. Amen. I love to take notes. So I'm all about note taking this morning. So write it down. If you are a thinker, then, uh, you know, you can brood and ruminate as you think about these photographs that are going to show on the backboard behind me. So are we ready? All right. Amen. So photo number one, we're just going to show. So just give me some responses. Yeah. Okay. Check I figured I'll take the low-hanging fruit at the beginning of the, the sermon, right? Or how about this one, number one, we've got Apple, all those Apple lovers, Droid, I don't know, Android, Apple, I have an Android, the Apple. Third photograph we have, there we go, Starbucks. Does anybody need any coffee? Maybe the Dunkin' Donuts lovers out there maybe need some Dunkin' Donuts. We have a couple more. The next one, Walmart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all right. I'm just going to hold on before you show the next one. I'm slightly scared to show you the next one, just full disclosure. But let's, let's take a look at it. Oh. 
All right. <laughs> Enough games. That's it. That's all we have time for. No more games. That's it. Get that out of there. But my goal for us this morning really is simple. My challenge set before us is really basic. My mandate for us this morning is twofold, and that is to educate us on who God says that we are and to motivate us to remember who God says that we are when we might think, feel, experience, and just think about the exact opposite. There are lies that we have said about ourselves. There are lies others have said about us. And that is our foundation this morning, to replace those lies with the truth of who God says we are. Come on, the devil is a liar this morning. Amen. Come on, God, God's opinion matters over my life and over your life this morning. Amen. Amen. And this morning, we're going to look at two different stories located in the Old Testament. And then I'm going to give you two really practical ways to apply truth to our everyday lives. And uh, my hope is that we all have a more fuller, complete understanding of who we are when we say yes to God, when we say yes to bringing on God or life's challenges, and whenever we say yes to understanding that I am a chosen part of God's family. Is that okay this morning? Amen. Amen. And that excites me because we're going to replace those lies with truth, the whole truth, and nothing but that's right. Today we're going to set up the foundation that truth is greater than lies, the truth that I am above and not beneath, beneath, that I am greater than my failures, that I have been and am created with a purpose, that I have been and am created by design. Amen. But sometimes, sometimes I do not think these things. Sometimes, if I'm being honest with you, sometimes I feel left out. Sometimes I feel unqualified. Sometimes I feel unmotivated. Sometimes I feel ignorant. Sometimes I fail. Sometimes I do more than stumble. I completely fall on my face. Sometimes I am not confident. Sometimes those are my feelings. And those internal feelings of incompetence and inadequacy remind me of a story in the book of Exodus about Moses. And uh, the book of Exodus, or, or names as it is called in the original Hebrew, is really is an interesting book. And I hear some of you out this morning, Exodus, like Nate, do you have any idea how long the book of Exodus is? Well, I'm glad you asked because, in fact, I do know how long it is. It is 40 chapters in length. It is 25,987 words long, and it's the fifth longest book in the entire scripture that we have as the Bible, Genesis being the first longest. Um, but now I have a question for you, all of you readers out there in the audience this morning. Do you have any idea how many words are in the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Do you have any idea how many words are in the Harry Potter series? Do you have any idea, for all you super spiritual ones out there, do you have any idea how many words are in the Chronicles of Narnia? Well, I do. <laughs> and just to kind of give you an idea, Lord of the Rings has over 575,000 words. Harry Potter has over 1.1 million words. And for those extra spiritual ones out there, Narnia has over 325,000 words in totality. So yes, Exodus is long. I understand that. But if you have the time and the focus to read a 500,000 word count fantasy fiction novel, 
You might just have the time to put some truth into your brain this morning. Is that okay? Amen. Word counts are not my concern this morning. They really aren't. My concern is that you, Life Point, know what God says about you. My concern is that you, production team in the back, know what God says about you, that you know the truth of your life in Christ. My concern is that you, our online Sunday after Thanksgiving turkey hangover dinner audience, know what God says about you, that God is concerned about you, all right? But I really want to jump into it this morning. Um, so go ahead and turn on your Bibles with me. I know you brought them. So go ahead and turn on your Bibles with me this morning. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 3, and that's going to kick us off here. The book of Exodus chapter 3, and this is where it says, The angel of the Lord, everybody say, The angel, angel. appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, hmm, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord, everybody say the Lord, Lord. saw that he had gone over to the look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So he's just telling Moses who he is, sets up that generational aspect. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. And what a fantastic reminder that God sees you. And I just need 100 people, 200 people, 300 people to say, God sees me. God sees me. Amen. God sees me. I have heard them crying out because I have heard them crying out because they're slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Say concerned. Can I tell you God is concerned about your well-being, that God is invested in you? that God is interested in you, that God is invested in and concerned about your feelings, concerned about your thoughts, concerned about your future, concerned about your current situation, concerned about how you view yourself. Amen? So we're going to continue on in reading. It says, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Amen. And now this is where it really becomes interesting. God has given Moses really direct instructions on what to do and what to say. Yet Moses recoils at God's directions and tries to persuade God that he is unfit, that he is unqualified, and he is unable to speak. This is the first response of actually four different responses, four different excuses Moses gives God on why he is unqualified and unfit to go back to Egypt and lead the Israelites to freedom. So just look and listen at the four different rebuttals that Moses gives God and tell me if they sound like familiar at all to you. Okay, so let's look together. He, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? 
And I have experienced the what-ifs of life before, amen? And that sounds a whole lot like self-doubt to me. What if, what if, what if, what if? Like how many what-ifs have we gone through in our lives? What if I take this new job? What if this relationship goes south? What if I take for a risk for God and I fail? What if I start a new business and I go bankrupt? What if I commit to the legacy fund and, and the bills start to go crazy and go haywire? Or how about this response from Moses that he sends next? He says, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am of slow speech and sung or, or tongue. It sounds like I was not talented before I met you, and I'm still not talented even after meeting you, God. That's what he's like feeling, I can think. I do not have or contain enough smarts or enough intelligence. I'm just not good enough, God. And I love God's response. In the next verse, God says, The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And God is like, check yourself, Moses, before you wreck yourself. Amen. He's like, I made you. I gifted you. I put exactly the amount of talent and, and talent that you need into your body. And I can just feel God's emotion, his response to Moses. Yet Moses remains still unconvinced. Check out Moses' third and fourth responses to God telling him to go. Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Not me, anyone but me. Send anyone but me. Please, not me. And are these not the same negotiations that we have with God on a day-to-day, -day, weekly, yearly basis? Like constantly, the what-ifs of life. The internal feelings of God. I cannot accomplish this task. I wasn't good enough before, and I'm not good enough now. God, I do not have the talent to do it. God, I do not have the resources to do it. God, choose someone else. God, send someone else. I am filled with self-doubt. I doubt my talents. I doubt my resources. I doubt my passions. I doubt what I know. What if I fail? Like there are times in my life where I have to be reminded, just like Moses, that he made me, that he fashioned me. There are moments where God reminds me, who gave, me, who gave human beings their mouths? Who gave us our sight? There are times where God has to refresh my memory and tell me, I am not me, but God is the vine. You are the branch. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So God is just kind of putting us in our place. Sometimes I become negligent, careless, try to do too much out of my own strength. When my mindset should really be, God, you are not a resource, but God, you are the source. Amen? My own words, thoughts, and self-imposed internal failures become a straitjacket prohibiting my destiny. The devil and his mother-in-law are liars. Amen? Sometimes it is about me. Sometimes it is about my own self-doubts, my own feelings of an unqualified, inadequate, not enough. Other times, however... I allow the lies of outsiders to control my destiny. I allow the scouting reports of others to impact my future. Too short, too small, too slow, 
That was the title given to the running back that holds the record for the most rushing yardage in NFL history. Bonus points, there he is. He holds the, you're right, he does. That was his scouting report coming out of college. Can't do it. And so it is with you, and so it is with me. There are scouting reports on us. Some scouting reports call us unqualified, unworthy, unmotivated. Still others may label us as know-it-alls, straight-laced, stuck up. Whatever lie that has been unjustly or incorrectly spoken over you and about you is just that. It is a lie. And I am so glad you are here this morning because truth is greater than the lie. And a remarkable story about the truth being greater than the lie is found in the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, we learn about a character named Joseph. His name in literal original Hebrew means to add. And uh, we can find this reference in chapter 30 of Genesis where she's, it says, she named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. It's going to give you a little bit of backdrop on Joseph's kind of family dynamic. Joseph was one of 12 other siblings. Joseph had 10 half-brothers. He had one full brother and a half-sister. Joseph was Rachel's firstborn, yet he was Jacob's, that's his dad, 11th son. To say Joseph was part of an odd, interesting, blended family dynamic is to put it mildly, right? Like I am one of four and I know the Thanksgiving dinners I've had as one of four. So I can just imagine like dinners at their dinner table with all this family dynamic going on. Like you couldn't even go out to eat without planning and, and calling ahead and reservations, all these people coming, all these different brothers and sisters coming, right? And so like any other large blended family, Joseph had some problems, right? And I'd like to show you what Joseph's problems look like in Genesis chapter 37. It says this, Joseph, uh, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilal and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So his brothers hated him. In fact, in verse 5 and in verse 7 or verse 8, this hatred is reinforced twice more. Scripture says that uh, they hated him all the more. If you do not know the story, Joseph's brothers end up selling him into slavery instead of their original idea, which was to kill him. But Joseph isn't just sold once. He's actually bought and sold five different times and is bought bought and sold five different times, and he is into an Egyptian official named Potiphar, okay, which is incredibly important because Egypt is where God's divine plan was scheduled to take him. Fast forward to chapter 39, and it states this, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered from the time that he, that's Potiphar, put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So again, my goals this morning are to educate and to motivate. This is the educational foundation. So just quick recap of the story of, of, story of Joseph. Joseph has a dream. His brothers really hate his dream, and his brothers really hate him. His, his brothers decide it makes more sense to sell him into slavery, overkilling him. That's a really noble thought. 
He ends up in the household of an Egyptian government official, and God starts blessing that official ridiculously, like money, sports cars, floor seats at the Cavs games, like stacks and stacks of Chick-fil-A cards, Air Force Ones on his feet, like his kids are model citizens and behaving, like he is just being overly, overly blessed, right? Um, But this was all happening because he was in Potiphar's house managing his affairs. This was a place he was not scheduled to be, a place he was in because of other people's lies about him, a place he was in because of his own brother spoke lies about him. Could not speak a kind word and they hated him, but Joseph thrived, amen? Joseph is an excellent case study on thriving where you are. It did not matter where Joseph was or what lies were spoken about him, he prospered. He thrived in Potiphar's house after he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He thrived when he was unjustly sent to prison when Potiphar's wife spread a lie about him. And he thrived as a top commander in Egypt during a seven-year famine. Somebody say thrive this morning. Thrive. God, use me where I am this season. God, I did not think it would look like this, but help me to thrive where I am. God, this is not how it looked inside of my mind, but help me to thrive in my current circumstance. God, this is not how I expected it to play out in my mind, but help me to thrive. God, this is not what I expected to look like in my career, but help me to thrive where I am. Somebody say thrive this morning. Put your hand on your right hand and say, God, thrive me where I am this morning. God, use us where we are. Let us be passionate about the things of God. Let us find you where we don't expect you, Father. Lord, use us and thrive us where we are. This is a clear and distinct reminder that God can use our unjust circumstances to further his plan for our lives, to prosper us. So I just have a question, a couple questions for you. Have you ever been wrongly criticized? Have you ever been incorrectly labeled or boxed in? Have you ever been lied about? Have you ever been gossiped about? Have you ever had people speak untrue things over your life? Have you ever been hated all the more? If that answer is no, you are part of the incredible lucky few. If that answer is yes, you are with excellent company. Amen? You really are. You are with excellent company. Um, And you can thrive among the lies. And I just want to remind you that you can thrive where you are, that you can thrive in an unfair situation, that you can thrive in an an unfair circumstance that you are in right now, that you can thrive where God has placed you. A few weeks ago, I asked our students and student leadership team about any like negative thoughts that, that phrases, words that may have been spoken about them or to them. And, and I really found their responses impactful. So I'm just going to share a few of them with you this morning. Some of these words were stick, carrot, autistic, weird, straight-laced, lion's mane, monkey ears, never going to make it, mean, Stuck up, underachiever, stupid, failure, better off not trying, find a factory to work in, dumb Mexican, and I do not share these lies for shock value. I share them with you to give a glimpse into the reality of everyday life for some of us. I share them to help us better understand what life looks like for some of us.
that your words carry weight, that what we say to each other matters. Amen? And I want to tell you this morning that you matter, that you matter so much that I'd be honored to share with you two really helpful tips, tips that I think can really help us fight those internal and external lies that seem to hover around us at times. Two really practical keys with your coffee this morning so that we can combat the internal and the external. And if you have been taking notes this morning, go ahead and jot these down. And if you haven't been taking notes this morning, go ahead and jot these down anyways. Here are two really really practical keys to fighting the internal and external lies. First key, number one, surround yourself with like-minded people. Who we spend intentional time with matters. It really does. The company I choose to keep directly impacts me. According, I just want to show you a real quick uh, quote. According to Prime Health, Prime Behavior, Prime Behavioral Health, I'll get it out. One of the most common negative effects of a toxic relationship is the impact on self-esteem. The nature of the relationship can cause feelings of uncertainty and undermine your self-confidence. So if you struggle in this area, or maybe you're not even really sure where to meet like-minded people, like outside of Sundays, I would encourage you to join a group. I would urge you to join a foundations class. I would steer you towards finding a place towards using your talents and gifts and join a team to serve on. Our groups and foundations class classes relaunched this February. Some are ongoing right now. Like you can find a place where you can join people of faith, like-minded people. Um, and if you're not in one, I'd encourage you to reach out, ask, like let's work through it together. Amen. And if you're here this morning and you're not plugged in, find a place and connect. Some of my most impactful and meaning relationships have come from joining a team, have come from meeting people in a foundations class, have come from joining a life group and just doing life together. Like those are the most impactful relationships that I have found in my life. And these are the people that I call on when I'm like all in my feels, as the students like to say, right? Like those are the people that I can call on and say, hey, man, I'm just feeling kind of weird, funky. Like, can you pray with me? Can you talk me? Can you, I just talk to you for a moment? Like, those are the people that I go to. Amen. Key number two, second key, make healthy self-care a priority. Like, you are important. How you spend your time is important. What you do in your downtime is important. If you are in your feelings, turn on and turn up worship music. There are countless worship songs that are based on scripture and who we are in Christ. Like get those words into your DNA. Get those thoughts, ideas into your being. Uh, listen to worship music, songs like, uh, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am, right? Like those are great, great words. Those are based, <laughs> yes. But that's based out of 2 Corinthians. Like that's, that's a song that we need to have on the backdrop when we're just feeling weird. Remind us of who we are, God, right? If you're not feeling yourself, if you're feeling funky, read your Bible. Like it sounds simple, but 
just pour truth into yourself. If reading the content, the words, the concepts, and the ideas of Scripture is not a habit for you, like just start. Start tonight. Start tomorrow. Be the initiator of that conversation with God. Like just make it a point to start. Pour truth into yourself. Amen? Like be aware of what you are constantly thinking of. Are you thinking negative thoughts? Are you thinking positive thoughts? Are you thinking indifferent thoughts? What are you thinking of? What are you thinking of? And this is what Paul says about our thoughts. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Your mental health matters. How you view yourself matters. Pour truth into yourself. Listen to worship music. Get into the word. Think, think, think. Lord, I just pray that you'd help our minds wander to true thoughts. Let our minds gravitate towards lovely thoughts, towards excellent and praiseworthy thoughts. Lord, help our hearts to know, understand, and realize how incredibly valued we are, how incredibly cherished and worthy we are within the family of God. Far too often, we are quick to assume and agree with an outsider's assessment of who we are and what we can and cannot do. Far too often, we accept the lies of who we are. Too many times, we believe a lie about our talents or lack thereof. To my right and to my left, or lies, incorrect thoughts, feelings, words about who you are, about who I am, words that you might see up here, loser, deceitful, ignorant, cheat, not good enough, stupid, unworthy, failure, alone, separated from God, reject, not smart enough, like these are all lies. And I want to take just the last few minutes we have with each other and highlight just a few things God says about you and I. For all of the negative thoughts and inaccurate descriptions others have said about us, we're going to replace those lies with truth this morning, the whole truth and nothing but the truth this morning. One of my favorite things about being part of God's family is the new beginning and the fresh start he gives us when we say yes to him and his promises. And this is exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. And this is what that looks like. Amen. Is this okay? He gives us a fresh start. We can erase all of those negative. It looks like a blank slate just waiting to be filled with all the promises God has for your life. All of the, the keys and the love the promises and truth of who God says that we are and you are. 
And some of, the, some of my most favorite ones, I'm just going to put up here for you if that's okay. I won't take up too much of your time. But words like, I am enough. That I can do all things. That he is my shield. He is my protector. I am a child. I am good enough. I have a talent. He is my provider. He is my savior. I have a hope. I have a future. That we are more than conquerors. That I am a daughter. That I am victorious. We get to replace all of those negative thoughts, ideas, emotions with who God truly says that we are. But Nate, you don't understand. I'm all alone. And not to that, I say, Isaiah 41, I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. When I wake up with bedhead, altogether beautiful, my darling, there is no flaw in you, right? Like all these great things. When outsiders say, no one wants me, Isaiah 43, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you. You are mine. God wants me. When I feel no internal value or worth, God says, but God showed us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He saw value in me and sacrificed his life for me before I ever gave him the time of day. He chose me and recognized me before I ever said yes to him. In just a moment, our worship team's going to come up, and we're going to set an atmosphere of worship, prayer, and remembrance of who we are because of whose we are. 